Now, if you would please turn to 1 Kings chapter 18. We continue our study through uh, Kings. 1 Kings 18 verses 1 to 18. And it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year saying, go present yourself to Ahab and I will send rain on the earth. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab and there was a severe famine in Samaria and Ahab had called Obadiah who was in charge of his house. Now Obadiah feared the Lord for so it was while Jezebel massacred the prophets of the Lord that Obadiah had taken 100 prophets and hidden them, 50 to a cave, and had fed them with bread and water. And Ahab had said to Obadiah, go into the land to all the springs of water and to all the brooks. Perhaps we may find grass to keep the horses and mules alive so that we will not have to kill any livestock. So they divided the land between them to explore it. Ahab went one way by himself and Obadiah went another way by himself. Now as Obadiah was on his way, suddenly Elijah met him and he recognized him and fell and said, Is that you, my Elijah? And he answered him, It is I. Tell your master, Elijah is here. So Obadiah said, How have I sinned that you are delivering your servant Ahab to kill me? As the Lord your God lives, there's no nation or kingdom where my master has not sent someone to hunt for you. And when they said he is not here, he took an oath from the kingdom or nation that they could not find you. And now you say, Go tell your master Elijah is here. And it shall come to pass as soon as I am gone from you that the Spirit of the Lord will carry you to a place that I do not know. So when I go and tell Ahab and he cannot find you, he will kill me. But I, your servant, have feared the Lord from my youth. Was it not reported to my Lord what I did when Jezebel killed the prophets of the Lord? How I hid 100 men of the Lord's prophets, 50 to a cave, and fed them with bread and water. And now you say, go, tell your master Elijah is here. He will kill me. Then Elijah said, as the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, I will surely present myself to him today. So Obadiah went to Ahab and told him. And Ahab went to Elijah. Then it happened when Ahab saw Elijah that Ahab said to him, is that you, O troubler of Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have, in that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and have followed the Baals. Now therefore send and gather all Israel to me on Mount Carmel, the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. And may God add his richest blessing to the reading of this portion of his holy word. Will you pray with me, please? Again, our Father, we're thankful that you have spoken to us. Your word is true and it is perfect. 
And we pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would come and speak to us, that you would open our eyes and our ears and our hearts, that we would see our Lord Jesus Christ high and lifted up. We pray that the sheep would hear the voice of the good shepherd and hearing his voice that we would know him and follow him and offer our hearts to him promptly and sincerely in spite of the inability and sin Jesus' name, amen. Be seated, please. Faithfulness. For 22 years, Dr. Robertson McQuilkin was president of Columbia International University, formerly known as Columbia Bible College down in Columbia. In 1978, his wife, Muriel, began to show signs of dementia at a relatively young age. In 1990, at the height of his powers and career, Dr. McQuilkin resigned his post in order to be a full-time caregiver to his wife. And I want to read of a letter shortly after his resignation. The decision to come to Columbia was the most difficult I have had to make. The decision to leave 22 years later, though painful, was one of the easiest. Let me explain. My dear wife, Muriel, has been in failing mental health for about 12 years. So far, I've been able to carry both her ever-growing needs, and my leadership responsibility. But recently, it has become clear to me that she needs me now full-time. And he explained this. The decision was made in a way 42 years ago when I promised to care for Muriel in sickness and in health till death do us part. So as a man of my word, integrity has something to do with it, but so does fairness. She has cared for me fully and sacrificially all these years. If I cared for her for the next 40 years, I would not be out of her debt. Duty, however, can be grim and stoic, but there is more. I love Muriel. I don't have to care for her. I get to. It is a high honor to care for so wonderful a person. Faithfulness. Now, while there is faithfulness in the times of plenty and health and for the better, the real test of Faithfulness comes in the want and the sickness and the for worse. Like gold, faithfulness is tested by fire and like gold, it shines brightest in the fire. In the passage before us, there are three portraits of faithfulness in times of severe adversity. 
God's people are under fire or in the fire. Now, let's look at these three pictures of faithfulness. First in this passage, we see the faithfulness of Elijah. Look at verse 1. And it came to pass after many days that the Lord came to Elijah in the third year saying, Go present yourself to Ahab and I will send rain on the earth. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. Now, every time the word of the Lord comes to Elijah and tells him what to do, where to go, Elijah does it. He goes. We've seen it again and again. When he appeared suddenly before King Ahab and declared it would not rain again, but by his word, the word of the Lord came to Elijah and said, Come here and hide by the brook Cherith. And Elijah went and did according to the word of the Lord. Then when the brook dried up, again, the word of the Lord came to Elijah, Arise and go to Zarephath. So Elijah arose and went to Zarephath. Now the word of the Lord has come to Elijah again. It's time for rain. It's been three years. Go, show yourself to Ahab. So Elijah did what God told him. He went to show himself to Ahab. Now think about how different the circumstances are here. The first time... In the narrative that the word of the Lord came to, he's told to leave. And it's not the main point, but I'm sure after what he'd said to the king, it's not going to rain until I say so. It was in Elijah's best interest to get out of there. Although the Lord did send him to Sidon to the seat of Baalism. Then later when the brook is dried up. He's out of water. The Lord is telling him where to go find provision. And the Lord provided every day for Elijah and the widow at Zarephath and her son. Day after day, week after week, month after month, her little jar of flour never ran out in her little jug or we all memorized it, her little cruise of oil never ran out. Enough bread, just enough, but enough bread for a new day. Give us this day our daily bread. And the Lord had raised the widow's son to life when he got sick and died. And she, this Baalist, come to confess the true God of Israel. Now, in this passage, the Lord calls Elijah to leave the place of provision. To leave the place where the Lord's power has clearly been at work and go back to where he is not welcome. Look at verse 10. As the Lord your God lives, there is no nation or kingdom where my Master has not sent someone to hunt for you. And when they said he is not here, he took kingdom or nation and they could not find you. Elijah was a man. God tells him to leave the place 
has been safe, where he's seen God's hand work and go to a place of danger. And Elijah goes for better or worse. Now look at verse 15. Elijah said, as the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, I will surely present myself to him today. Elijah was determined to go and do as the Lord had said. Look at the end of verse 16. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. Then it happened when Ahab saw Elijah that Ahab said to him, Is that you, O troubler of Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your house have, in that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and have followed the Baals. Ahab was doing what a great many have done ever since. He blamed the problems on the believers. And rain, there's a famine, a drought, people are starving. Here comes the believer, the spokesman for God, you troubler of Israel. Elijah gives it right back to him. He says, in the language of rural Ireland County, where I came from, this ain't my fault. You caused this drought. You and your daddy caused this drought because you are a little apostate heathen just like your daddy was. That's faithfulness. That's Elijah's faithfulness. It's very bold, in-your-face, confrontational faithfulness. Lord knows we need that kind of faithfulness today. But it's not the only kind of faithfulness we need today. So we see the, the faithfulness. Secondly, in this passage, we see the faithfulness of Obadiah. Look at the end of verse 2. And there was a severe famine in Samaria. And Ahab had called Obadiah, who was in charge of his house. Now, Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. For so it was, while Jezebel massacred the prophets of the Lord, that Obadiah had taken 100 prophets and hidden them, 50 to a cave, and had fed them with water. Now, we are on the way in this passage to what next to the resurrection of Jesus Christ well be the most exciting and dramatic event in scripture when fire comes down on Mount Carmel. But the author feels compelled to stop and devote what in our Bibles adds up to 14 verses to this man in what we just read about him 
500 prophets is repeated word for word in verse 15. There's a reason why the author delays getting to the action to talk about this man and specifically to tell us about this particular thing twice. It's important. Why so? He wants us to see that Elijah was not the only faithful person in Israel at the time. Was Elijah's brand of faithfulness the only kind at the time? It's easy to see Elijah's faithfulness, his brazen defiance of evil, calling the face, but not everyone is made like that or called to that. It says in verse 3 that Obadiah was in charge of Ahab's house. He's on the inside. He was part of the establishment. And as hard as for me, to believe or admit that anyone associated with any establishment could possibly be good. That does not necessarily mean he's a compromiser. Because he's an insider does not mean he's sold out. Look at what he's doing. Well, the queen, the radical, balist zealot was determined to exterminate the prophets of the true God in her effort to purge true religion from Israel. And this insider, not to disgrace this sacred desk, but he's a political insider. Saved a hundred Lord's prophets. And we see both in verses 3 and 15 that not only did he hide them, but he also fed them with bread and water in the drought and famine. Just as the Lord used ravens and brought food to Elijah and the brook to provide water and he used the widow to feed Elijah so the Lord used Obadiah to provide for the prophets of God. Now Obadiah's faithfulness is displayed in a series of three contrasts and I want to note each one briefly. First, Obadiah is contrasted with Jezebel. It says Jezebel cut off the prophets of the Lord. She killed them. And Obadiah at least partially thwarted her diabolical scheme. Not without great risk to his own 
life. Again, the Old Testament scholar Ralph Davis says, Obadiah's work is a quiet monument to Jezebel's failure. His courage stymies the full success of her Yahweh, God's people's liquidation policy. He's, he's messing up her evil plan. Jezebel is a true prophet. Die saves them. He's contrasted with Jezebel, contrasted with Ahab. And Ahab said to Obadiah, go into the land of all the springs of water, all the brooks, perhaps we may find so they didn't have to kill any livestock. So they divided the land to explore it. Ahab went one way by himself and Obadiah went another way by himself. You see the contrast? What was Obadiah interested in saving? People. The prophets of the Lord. Who was King Ahab interested in saving? Horses and mules. Now I know some of y'all are animal lovers, so for your benefit, let me point out that the trouble with Ahab is not that he cares about four-legged creatures. No, he's not an animal lover. This is his wealth. This is his own wealth. That's all he cares about in the drought and famine. He for his people. He's a sorry king, but you already knew that, so let's get on with it. Ahab cares about animals. Obadiah cares about people. And thirdly, Obadiah is contrasted with Elijah. In the interest of time, I'll give you a summary of verses 7 to 16. While Ahab and Obadiah had split up to look for grass to feed the animals, Obadiah encountered Elijah, who was on his way to see Ahab. Obadiah, who feared the Lord greatly and honored him, recognized Elijah, and he fell on his face in reverence. And Elijah told Obadiah, go tell Ahab Elijah is here. Then Obadiah protested. He said, verse 9, How have I sinned that you are delivering your servant into the hand of Ahab to kill me? He didn't want to go tell Ahab Elijah was here. And then he explained why. Ahab had been looking all over for Elijah. And whenever they would say he's not here, Ahab made them tired because he was determined to find him. Now Obadiah says to Elijah, you're sending me to Ahab to tell him you're here. But God doesn't want you killed, so the Spirit of the Lord is going to carry you away. And Ahab won't find you. And then he'll kill me for lying to him. It won't be funny to him. Then he 
to Elijah about how he'd saved the prophets. He's not bragging on himself, he's telling the truth. But you see, that is apprehensive. In personality, he could not be much further from Elijah. He's not brash. He does not want confrontation if it can possibly be avoided. But he is no coward. Look at verse 16. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. He goes and tells Ahab. Saving 100 prophets from Jezebel's massacre was not the work of a coward. Now the Lord dwells at some length to show us that faithfulness takes on different forms and expressions in different people. We're not all called to be Elijah, but we are all called to be faithful. Again, Davis says, sometimes the Lord attacks with the in-your-face style of an Elijah and sometimes he subverts it by the simple subversion of an unobtrusive How helpful then that Elijah is not the Lord's only faithful servant. Faithfulness is not so dull that it comes only in one flavor. You know, in these polarized times in which we live, there is a tendency to think that if someone is not mad or at least emotionally charged, he must not really be committed. But in reality, a person who is quiet, mild-mannered, risk-averse, even boring, can be as committed as a zealot. There were active resistance movements throughout Europe in the Second World War. They gained intelligence for the Allies, committed sabotage, operated underground presses and communication networks, and caused the Nazis to expend valuable troops and resources in places other than the front line. They were generally quiet, largely invisible, literally behind the scenes. But General Eisenhower estimated that on D-Day, the world's resistance was worth 10 to 15 divisions, or that would be 100 to 150,000 soldiers. You see, if Elijah represents a full frontal assault on the forces of evil, then Obadiah represents the resistance movement from inside. And he saved a hundred of God's men that Elijah could not reach. So we see the faithfulness of Elijah, the faithfulness of Obadiah, and thirdly and finally in this passage, we see the faithfulness of the Lord. Look at the end of verse 2. And there was severe famine in Samaria. 
Why was there a famine in Samaria? Because the Lord was faithful to his word. If you forget me and turn and serve other gods, I will shut the heavens and cut off the rain. And God's word. Every day for three years, the cloudless heavens declared the faithfulness of God. Now look at verse 15. After Obadiah processed that he will go tell Elijah, go tell Ahab, Elijah's here, and then the Lord will carry Elijah away. Then Elijah said, lives before whom I stand, I will surely present myself to him today. Was assuring Obadiah of the Lord's faithfulness. The Lord had told Elijah to go show himself to Ahab. The Lord was not going to change course. There's a great line from an old hymn that says, Whate'er my God ordains is right, he never will deceive me. He leads me by the proper path. I know he will not leave me. Now, here's the point this text has been building. These men were faithful because they knew God. And they knew that he was faithful. The word of the Lord had never one time misled Elijah. And so, when the Lord said, go to the king... Our faithfulness is a reflection and indication of the faithfulness of our God. I'm not saying if we're not faithful, somehow God is not faithful. No, what I mean is that our unfaithfulness reveals the idolatry in our hearts. To faithfulness is to know and get close to and meditate on a faithful God. Now, I don't remember where it came from, but there's an old saying that if you preach your sermon in a synagogue and not get stoned, you have not preached a Christian sermon. You may not have noticed, but so far I wouldn't be in trouble in the synagogue today. What does Jesus have to do with this story? He has everything to do with this story. Only Jesus can be the perfect embodiment of the brazen faithfulness of Elijah throwing the money changers out of the temple and asking the Pharisees how they expected to escape the damnation of hell. And he is the embodiment of the quiet faithfulness of Obadiah when he was revived. He opened not his mouth. 
But most of all, Jesus is the God that Elijah and Obadiah trusted. The God who became incarnate over 800 years later in Christ was the same God. In Jesus, we see the God they trusted and we see he is absolutely faithful. You can know that God is faithful because you know Jesus. The fulfillment of all God's promises. This table is a monument to the faithfulness of God. Jesus said this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Jesus Christ gave his body and shed blood because he is faithful to he bound himself to save his people by an oath. And the scripture says that the man who is worthy to ascend into the presence of God sweareth to his own and changeth not. In other words, he is faithful to his word no matter how hurts to keep it. Jesus Christ promised eternal life to all who believe in his name. For a sinner and all have sinned, the price of eternal life is blood. It's death, the wages of sin. Jesus Christ kept his promise, his his covenant, his own hurt. To the point of death on the cross. That's why we have eternal life. And that's why we come to this table. To take the cup of blessing. And call the name of our God. Because he, the cup of wrath for us.